Welcome back. I'm Erica. And I'm Chris. And this is The The Yamcast. We are a podcast where we devote ourselves, our whole selves. All of it. To the young adults and how they are navigating life and how that intersects with the Bible. Yeah, that's basically it. But you can like us, subscribe, review, rate, all that stuff, or email us, yamcastpod at gmail.com. We actually have another review. Is that sweet? This is out of control. I know. I feel like, is this what feeling going viral feels like? (laughs) (laughs) Um, For us, maybe. Is this what it feels like to go viral, Erica? Because I don't even feel anything. What's that from? I don't I made it up. Pretty much my head. It's so good. It sounded like it was a quote from something. In my head, I live in a movie and I say stupid things. Like, write that down. <laughs> okay, so this is from Eden Stuke. <sighs> says, uh, very beneficial. This is a great podcast to grow your knowledge of Jesus. Love listening to Chris, dad. And Erica, dive deep. Haha, <laughs> get get it? The deeper dive. She actually wrote that in there. That's yeah, not part of me. Yeah, she's goofy. It, dive into God's word. Definitely give this a listen. Well. Nepotism at its finest. You'll be getting... A sticker, she Eden. No, she doesn't get any. Yeah, she gets a sticker. No, I no. said if you were to do this reviewing, you get a sticker. I know, but she we're doesn't. actually almost up to nine or twenty um, ratings. That's sweet. We're that's, at nineteen. That's great. Who's going to be twenty? I don't know that she really listens to the podcast. She probably just did this to get a sticker. You know what? Well, that's, that, that's why we said get a sticker. I suppose Let's that means real. that she does listen to it. Yeah, that's in true. some regard. Maybe well, I put it on Insta. Maybe she saw it there instead of. Well, hi, kiddo. I'm excited that you like us that much so two out of the you know four of our um reviews are from your family (laughs) at least your family supports us where's my family (laughs) yeah they're they're suspiciously absent yeah it's okay i just don't think they understand how to use (laughs) technology they have the internet or computers now what that's what homer simpson says are we ready then yeah Let's 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 yeah. do the read through. Let's get into Colossians chapter two, verses six through 15 is what we're, where we will be today. That sounds awesome. So verse six says this, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. So we heard it. Therefore, I always heard this. So what's it there for? Dun, dun, dun. And you'll never, I've always thought it's a fairly corny thing to do. But I always think about it every time every I hit time. it there for in mm-hmm. the Bible. It yeah. drives me nuts. So in the previous verses, we just got done talking about Christ and what he has done. And in a lot of ways, what that causes Paul to do. And now he's kind of turning it on its head to really reflecting like what this now is supposed to make us do. So since you have received him, you are now supposed to walk in him. And he is going to go into that a bit more in the next verse, like what that actually looks like. And how we do that. Yes. And I think one of the things that you need to start noticing in this passage and then moving all the way through till like four, six, okay, is the times that Paul exhorts people or kind of commands them to do something, but it shows us that Christ has done X and we must then therefore do Y. And I think sometimes we treat God's providence or his supremacy or sovereignty as if he is 
working in us as if we're puppets. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We sort of treat his sovereignty like now I'm a puppet and everything's going to happen the way it's going to happen. Oh, I can't believe I fell off that building. I just happened to walk over the edge, but God must have been in charge. <laughs> Granted, that's a ridiculous concept. Yeah. But that's what, it, what we do. Yes. We sort of just act like we, like we are recipients. Like an autopilot. Or yes. Like, yeah. Whereas Paul's going to say these things over and over again. So walk in him says that you and I are supposed to be doing something. Mm-hmm. We are partners with what God is doing. We're partners with the work he's trying to accomplish. There is some type of action that we do. Are we ever going to accomplish what we're supposed to? Probably not. Are we ever going to be perfect in the way that we are before God? Definitely not. not. But what's happening is we are supposed to partner with him in some way. And so every Christian that I know that's kind of like, well, I just prayed a prayer and now I'm just waiting to die. So that's fun. That's not at all the Christian no. life. That's not what Paul's talking about. What mm-hmm. Paul's talking about is he wants us to meet God and join him in the work that God is doing. And so how do we walk in him? Well, we start in verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Mm, I love that, abounding in thanksgiving. So yeah, rooted like a tree, that him being the foundation, which allows us to build up or grow in him and becoming established in the faith, which I kind of looked up what the, I mean, I know what established means, but I was like, what words do they use to really um, define that? And it was like that it's been in existence for a long time. Mm -hmm. Like that is how you get, so a lot of times we want to go right to the established or right to the growing. And it's like, but it takes time for a tree to grow. It takes time for your faith to become established. It's not going to be right away. Um, So, and I just, I think, the key, I don't like that it's at the end, that abounding in Thanksgiving is at the end, which we're going to talk about more later too with this whole idea of Thanksgiving. But truly that's like woven throughout is being thankful. Totally. And abounding in Thanksgiving is when you take a turkey that has been cooked and you run through a field and frolic with long strides. Yeah, bounding. You're bounding, yeah. Yeah, you're abounding. Mm-hmm. Right. Just very long strides, perhaps holding a dish of yams in another hand. So you have a turkey in one, yams in another. And is that not what it is? OK. I don't think that's the Thanksgiving oh. that Paul is talking about. Well, however many years ago, if, almost 2000. If Paul's celebrating Thanksgiving in verse seven, <laughs> it's all good. I don't know. how. how what, what would their meal of choice be? Fish? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, probably fish and uh, yeah. What else did they have? One of the most common exports and imports in Roman culture was fish sauce. That sounds oh, delightful. Okay. Probably reminds us a little bit of what we eat in Haiti when we're there. I actually really like that. It's good. Yeah. But it's some people don't like it. I it's do basically like just it. fish chopped up in little mm-hmm. bits and put in sauce. Yeah. And then served with rice. Fish sauce, chicken sauce, bean sauce. It's all sauce. Lots of sauces, lots, lots of, of beans, and some rice. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not what abounding in Thanksgiving is. No. But we will get into it. That's that's good. But I want that image in everyone's mind, so I want to make sure that we circle back to it one more time. The image of people frolicking <laughs> in the field, is that sure? Abounding in Thanksgiving. <laughs> and uh, as a quick disclaimer, because people are ridiculous – I clearly was joking. I know that Paul didn't practice Thanksgiving the way that we practice Thanksgiving. 
I was being sarcastic because that's how people treat context in the Bible all too often. Mm-hmm. So I was saying that's They take it from their context, not correct. the biblical Correct. I was context. saying that's, that's not huge. the way to... If you hear someone preach a sermon shortly after Thanksgiving on this verse and use this verse to build a case for why celebrating Thanksgiving is a good thing, just get up and walk out of the church. Politely just <laughs> remove yourself. Just go to the car, turn it on, and drive to a church that does something right. <laughs> That's how you really feel. Or close that website and open up another website. Oh, that's so great. Everybody's online right now. It's true. You can watch anybody. You can, move on. Do, you can see seven church services in a day if you want. It's true. Abounding in Thanksgiving. All right, verse eight. <laughs> <laughs> see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See, I think for us, we hear this and it just seems very like, like out there kind of a thing. This also just reminds me like the the philosophy and empty deceit, like reminds me of the plausible arguments from a few verses ago. Totally. Um, But it really just reminds me of like culture creeping in, culture starting to inform your religion rather than, I shouldn't say religion, but your walk with God rather than the Bible informing it. Um, But yeah, just the elemental spirits of the world, like that just reminds me of culture. It it is. And I think you should think of it as religion Mm -hmm. because you just corrected yourself there, but you were totally right. But the problem is we think of religion as something different than they would have thought of religion. Yes, yes. So remember, Paul's writing to a culture where the sun is worshipped. Water water is worshipped, right? I mean, there are Greek and Roman gods for the sun and the moon and the stars and the the sea. And so what he's actually saying here, and, and... Please understand, I'm about to break this down in like a couple seconds and then move it. This is going to be some of the deeper dive that we're going to dive into. But I am taking a slant on a very big argument. The the discussion of who are the elemental spirits of the world, what are the elemental spirits of the world, is a crazy discussion in scholarship that we don't really have answers for. But I think the easiest way to understand it is that if, if water is attached to a deity and you used to worship the water deity, if you're a sailor— Right, Mm -hmm. and you're on a boat, and you're giving a sacrifice to to Poseidon, right, or Neptune. Those are the two different versions of the same god, and you're trying to please him so that you get to your port that you're supposed to go to. You are surrendered to elemental spirit of the world, right? Mm -hmm. Those those ideas of the elemental spirits of the you know. So we think of uh, Captain Planet, perhaps. He's a hero. I bet nobody that's listening to this, if they're under thirty, even knows what that Captain Planet (laughs) is. Uh, but Captain Planet, he would get these kids together, and then they would put their rings together, and they would create Captain Planet. But it was earth, wind, fire, hearth, which never made any sense to me. Uh, but we we talk about elemental, you know, principles of the world a lot, whether we realize it or not, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we we as people sort of know air, water, earth. We don't worship them, but Paul is saying you used to. And since you used to worship them, that's the culture you live in. So you're totally right with the culture creeping in thing. But the culture we live in typically doesn't believe that any of those things are real, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we just, air is up there. None of us are worshiping those things. But Paul's talking to a culture that absolutely does worship those. And he's saying, do not be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit. So let me put it back to my illustration really quick there. Let's imagine a sailor who's now a Christian and all of his buddies on the ship the storm comes up and all the buddies are going, oh, Neptune's mad. We're going to go ahead and start making a sacrifice. Paul's going, don't be taken captive 
by that philosophy or that empty deceit. Like you're chasing after something. You know that that God isn't real. So back mm-hmm. up, chill up, and don't go according to empty tradition, but, but now think about Christ. And so if you think about even Paul's shipwreck experience and how he handles it, or Jonah's shipwreck experience and how he handles it. Well, I guess he didn't shipwreck. He just got thrown out. Yeah. But each of them give God glory. No, no, no. I serve the God who's in charge of the wind and the waves. That's a totally different way of looking at things. Very true. All right, verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So this, again, just reminds me of the verses prior where it was talking about God being pleased to dwell in him. Um, It's just beautiful. The words that they use, I mean, obviously, they're not, again, they're not the Greek. This is our translation, but just the fullness of deity dwelling bodily. Like that, I mean, that just proves that whole fully God aspect of Jesus. It's poetic. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. And I think that some translations do a better job of capturing that that poetry. uh, And this one's a good one Mm -hmm. for that. Alrighty, verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So yeah, this is kind of going back to chapter one, reminding us that he's the head. Right. He is keeping this whole world in order. He is it. Like there's nothing else above him. Just kind of keeping that, reminding them. And they're going to do that a little bit later as it goes on too. Well, and how often do we struggle with that? You know. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're just coming out of election season, and I don't know if we're ever going to come out of COVID season at this point. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like we're in the bottom of a hole, and we're never going to be able to climb out. But there's a big question about who's in charge, right? And Christians are really struggling with, you know, how much authority do I give the government? How much authority do I give my pastor? How much authority do I give my spouse? How much authority do I give my boss? You know, there are people who are afraid to go to church because if they go to church and they have to be honest with their boss, their boss will make them quarantine for two weeks. And so they don't want to lose the pay. So they're just staying home and streaming services. Mm -hmm. So I've talked to more than enough people the last nine months who are actually operating the way they are, not because they don't want to be at church or not because they don't want to go to X, Y, or Z, but they don't do it because they're afraid of how their boss is going to respond to them when they're honest. Mm -hmm. So this verse is very applicable to us. You've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, that doesn't mean that you should disobey your boss, but I'm just saying we are really struggling with who's actually in charge. And I think those are good questions for us to lean into and kind of ask right now. Anyway, just an opinion. All right, verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So I think this is probably the most times they use the word circumcision, whichever whichever version you want, an E-D- I-O-N, yes. whatever, in a sentence. I almost want to say three times in one sentence. Well, it's not even the end of the sentence, but because <laughs> we know Paul runs on. That, but, is, that is correct. But this is talking about metaphorical circumcision, right? Like not the actual, I mean, because it's just saying not made by hands, but by the putting off of the flesh. I would hope so, because a circumcision done without hands would be really scary. Just like, I can't even. <laughs> Someone's using their feet or. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Come in close. <laughs> I've got some scissors. We're fine. Uh, no, that's inappropriate, Chris. Stop talking down this road of line of thinking. Um, yeah. So what he's talking about here, remember what we, we talked about this briefly in the, some of the early verses. Remember, we're talking about a church here in conflict. And some of that is the Jewish, non-Jewish conflict. Mm-hmm. 
And so some of that is just the discussion of we are circumcised, you aren't. How does that play out? You know, I've heard a number of scholars talk about if you're a Jew who uh, is climbing the social ladder and you're at a bathhouse, just to put it frankly, everyone knows that you're Jewish. Mm, yep. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. And everyone else who's listening, just think about it for a second. I think you'll figure it out. But the idea is that it's a mark that is noticeable. And what Paul's saying here is we've already established that this isn't the circumcision that we're talking about. We're not talking about that circumcision. We're talking about something more. And so, uh, you know, Jeremiah talks about it. Isaiah talks about it. Like a circumcision of the heart, Mm -hmm. a, a different mindset. Or if you think about it a different way, a mark that's inside of our flesh that's not outside of our flesh. It's a, it's a mark that shows that we are set aside for someone else. So whereas a Jew would walk into a bathhouse and everyone's like, oh, that guy's Jewish, and they just know it because of the mark. He's talking about a much deeper, much bigger mark that's not made by human hands, but God setting you apart. He's marking you, a circumcision of the heart kind of thing. Yeah, and like the putting off of the flesh is kind of also that play on words of circumcision is taking off a literal part of flesh, Absolutely. whereas this is... The flesh is almost meaning that worldly yes. part of you. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Like This is just so powerful. Once again, it's all through faith. He did it all. Paul is really trying to remind these Colossians that Jesus is it. Yes. I mean, he... I mean, if, if you haven't paid attention to all that has happened so far, I mean, he is just talking over and over again about how it's just Jesus. It's not Jesus plus anything else. There's no other secret wisdom that needs to be acquired. It is literally just Jesus. And he's, I mean, he's already talked a few times about what Jesus has done. And then he's going to talk about it again in the next couple of verses. Like, just really trying to nail it home for them. Like, it's nothing else that's going to save you. Nothing else that's yes. going to make you right. Literally just Jesus, stop searching for other things. One of the beautiful things about Ephesians and Colossians, and a lot of folks think that they were written at the same time. So some have made the case that they believe the Ephesian letter is actually written to the Laodiceans. And so at the end of this letter, when Paul says, pass this letter on to Laodicea, and by the way, read the one that I wrote to the Laodiceans, some believe that at some point Ephesus ended up with them, because they're they're all down the street from each other. They're right near each other. Uh, It's possible that when Ephesus received the letter, they just held on to it. And they were like, oh, this is really, really good. And then that's Ephesus didn't get destroyed like the other two cities did. So that's how it became the book of the Ephesians. And he, maybe he never actually was written, you know, writing to the Ephesians. Mm. But regardless, all that wandering, all I'm trying to say here is this. Paul in both of these letters repeats the gospel over and over and over and over again, which to me reminds me that as much as I believe the gospel and I have believed the gospel, I need to keep believing the gospel and I need to keep hearing the gospel in order to believe the gospel mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Not that I become unsaved and need to be resaved. I think that we all t- together think of the gospel as that. It's more of a matter of I need to remind myself that I am not the one that did anything for myself, that Christ does it alone, and everything I do is a response to him, is a worship to him. So since I've been buried with him in baptism and I've been raised with him in faith, uh, now I live that life out. It's a response to his goodness. And so I don't wake up in the morning like, all right, time to save myself today. Like there's never a point and that happens. So I need to remind myself of the gospel over and over and over again. And that's what Paul's doing. And I think what he... 
what he also is doing is he's doing it in different ways. Yes. And he's saying it in different ways, which also is what we need is we need to be hearing it in different ways or reading it throughout different things. Because, yeah, if you just hear the same things over and over again, it becomes routine, mundane, whatever it might be. So I like that even though he said it probably 15 times since we started this this <laughs> um, this book, they're all different. Yes. But they all are s- still saying the exact same thing, which is really cool. Yeah. So hear it. Hear it loud and clear and live it out. And if you haven't thought that maybe you should do that, well, let's move on to verse 13. I know. It's going to be right here again. Live it out again. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Like I just like envisioning just a mic drop, you know, just totally done. I don't, we don't even, we don't even need to really say anything else. Like it's just perfect. Paul's like, peace. Because, yes, we're dead in our sins, and God made us alive through Christ. And how did he do that? He canceled our debt, and, and there's a cost for that debt, and that is death. Mm-hmm. And that is by him nailing it to the, to the cross with Christ, and where Christ had victory over the— And so when we say rulers and authorities, I think we think of earthly rules and authorities, which I don't necessarily think he's talking about that. Deeper dive. Oh, okay. Yep. All right. It's coming. Perfect. Um, but yeah, I, when I see rulers, like disarming the rulers and authorities and putting them, to, I mean, we've talked previously about how the, they know the, the beings, the demons and whatnot, they know who Jesus is and they are working to discredit him and ruin him his whole life. And they think they did. And then they did not plot twist. Boom. He rises from the grave. So totally. that's the triumphant triumph triumphing that's a hard one it's a tough word (laughs) over him or over them in him like it's just yeah open shame like it's just beautiful how those are all put together yeah and i think i like triumphing triumphing that's that's a good one (laughs) i like that uh triumphing no i mean the more you say it the more it sounds right i know right and now i'm gonna say it all the time this is the and then people are gonna be like what are you doing the arch day triumphing (laughs) <laughs> this is where they triumphanged over. Yes. That's not how it would go. But welcome to Gettysburg, where they triumphanged <laughs> over the. Now we're adding an ed to it, which I think is the best. <laughs> triumphanged. It's got many, many forms. Yep, lots of lots of extra syllables we added to that one. All right, let's go to the deeper dive. You ready? Um, I'm. You're like I was sitting, and then you sitting said, on the edge of my seat. You're like then you said rulers and authorities, and I thought maybe I don't want to go into this. I, I know that you could think that this podcast is all about this stuff. It's not, but I, I more want us to just think through the worldview that Paul is holding. Yes, to. which is what we should be doing all the time. And not only the worldview that Paul is holding to, but the worldview that Paul is also speaking towards. And so let's go back to our scenario here. If you have a an individual who is a sailor and they're in a boat, and a storm comes up, their first move is to believe that the gods are angry, right? Mm-hmm. And so whether they're thinking of 
uh, you know, if we were to watch Little Mermaid, King Triton, right, or Poseidon. Yep. Oh, these individuals always have a trident, and the trident controls the seas. And so they believe that something bad is happening, and they believe that their job then is to appease the gods in some way. So because the gods are angry, I must give them things. I must find ways to make this happen. I must accomplish something on my own. So they would actually have sacrifices below deck that they would pull up and like light a fire on the deck and light it up and hope that, that it'll appease the gods, right? Or if you're, you know, the, the iron working guild, you, you serve Hephaestus, the god of, of iron working and, and lava, you know, and so you, you worship him and you serve him. Even uh, this is well-known and well-documented, and I don't have things to like throw at you, but you can find it if you go searching for it. But the guilds that existed in this day, they, they just did lots of really disgusting things. I mean, if you think about uh, biker gangs, mm-hmm. or at least the concept of biker gangs and how they, they use women or they abuse drugs, and there's sort of these hovels of craziness that go on where just they just sort of do whatever they want to do in this space, this little house that they have created. And they just kind of do whatever they want, but they all pay their dues and they get whatever they want out of it. And then they celebrate for days or weeks on end. And then they get done and they go out and wreak more havoc. That's really close to the the world that Paul's living in. So I want you to imagine being a, an iron worker, right? And you're helping build this thing or you're, uh, you know, you're a mason and you're, and I don't mean a mason as in like the, you know, the Masonic temple or anything, <laughs> but a mason who, uh, again, not like Nicolas Cage chasing down the Mason sort of thing, but you're, you're a Mason who you work with stone and you've been hired to build the temple to Aphrodite. And so you're all day long, you're working and working, and working. And at night you're guild because they've gotten this huge amount of money from the government to build this, this temple to Aphrodite. You're celebrating, you're eating f- unclean food. You're, you know, women are all over the place. Mm-hmm possibly boys are all over the place. Like it's just really gross, nasty things that are happening, Mm -hmm. but all of it is done in the name of a God. And so then either in the middle of the room or some part of the building, there is a, an idol. They wouldn't have called an idol. They would have said, this is the representation of our God. Right. So it could be a goat being like Hephaestus or, uh, you know, pan, like those are all these, these beings that you read about or you see in mythology and shown up in other places, they all existed in their minds and they were real And they would worship that thing by doing whatever they're going to do. Now, let's back up in the story considerably, and let's talk about the very beginning of the human story. There's a serpent that lies to human beings, and his goal, I believe, the serpent's goal, was to see humans face death. Right? Yeah. Because God said, if you eat this, you're going to die. And so we could quibble over the details, but let's just leave it aside and say, at a minimum, the fact that the serpent is trying to trick human beings means that he believes that death is going to enter the equation. So what happens then in the biblical narrative is death is attached to that serpent. You follow me here? Mm-hmm. So all through the Bible, death is attached to this serpent. And so we see this all throughout. You know, there's this constant discussion of the gods and uh, death and Hades. And then you have Paul say these things like, death, where's your sing? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? And you go, okay. And then you go to Revelation and you see death and Hades are kind of conquered by Jesus in some way. And we go, okay, that's all really fun and cool. Now, here's what Paul's saying here. Let's go back to verse 15 and think this through. What if beings, their only goal was for humans to die? What if culture was built on this idea that humans die? What if all war 
What if all famine? What if all, you know, uh, religious acts such as throwing a baby into a fire? What if all of those things were made to try to destroy human beings? So the world that Paul lives in, they believed that they were supposed to appease the gods in some way. And by doing so, sometimes death brought, was brought into that equation. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so what would happen is, you know, even throwing a guy overboard to stop the storm from happening, those were not uncommon occurrences. If, if you know, if somebody was on the boat with you and the storm starts and you look over and you're like, wait, Dave's with us? Dave's like the unluckiest guy ever. His wife had a miscarriage last week and his dog died yesterday. And, you know, his, his cart on the way down to the, to the dock, the wheel fell off and then his... His, you know, his entire, all his yeah, all, all of his grain fell, fell into the ditch and it all and it fell into the poop and everybody didn't want to eat it anymore. Like, oh, Dave's here. Like, let's get rid of Dave. So they would chuck him overboard. And if the storm stopped, they'd be like, see, the gods are appeased. Everything's good. And so the world that they lived in was all based on death and all that kind of stuff. Now, imagine with me a being who is walking the earth, who is God incarnate. Now imagine with me this being, and I'm talking about it's Jesus is who we're talking. Okay. So Jesus, imagine that Jesus is walking the earth and all of these authorities and rulers, all of these beings who want nothing more than for human beings to die. Imagine if they see an opportune moment, and I'm, I'm using scripture there, an opportune moment to put God to death. What if they saw an opportune moment to say to human beings, we have you mastered so much that this guy that you think is so great, we can kill him and prove that he's not as powerful as he says he is. Man, if only there was a story like that. If only there was a story like where Roman authorities and Jewish authorities and everybody got together to put God to death and then imagine that God actually died. What a scandalous concept. Mm -hmm. And then let's imagine that the moment God died, his plan was actually complete. And our, our sins were paid for. And all of our, our debt was, was conquered in that moment. And then let's say that God didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave a few days later. And everyone's going, what? you got to be kidding me. We can't kill him? That's what's happening in verse 15. Mm-hmm. So when Paul says the rulers and authorities were just conquered by him, it's like, a, it's like the greatest plot twist that ever happened. You know what I'm saying? Your entire method of destruction for humanity was death and destruction and disgusting. You know, like you tried to find ways to make humans die, which I could make the case that a virus might do that, right? I could make the case that government systems in place that make people feel aside or, you know, pushed out to the brink. All those things are the system of the world that feel completely contrary to who Christ is. Mm -hmm. And we go, who's in charge of those things? Well, of course, it's the rulers and authorities. We think of presidents and senators and, and kings and all that. And that's how we think of it. Yeah. But what if behind them pulling the strings are these individuals who have been around since the beginning and their entire goal is to destroy humanity? How cool would it be if God decided to drop himself in the middle of that and then die for us and then rise from the grave conquering them once and for all? Yeah. That'd be awesome. If only that was true. Oh, wait. Wait, wait, it is absolutely true. So that's the deeper dive. I hope that makes sense. Any? Yeah, no, no, I I have nothing to add to that. Beautiful. (laughs) All right, well, let's get practical then. Let's get practical, practical. Okay, so as I was reading this, I was like, how do we make this practical? Um. And so I thought first we need to start looking at the areas in our lives where culture has started to inform us instead of scripture. 
So this is the areas where you start to maybe kind of make justifications that maybe the Bible is dated in blank area. Yeah. And there are some areas where it is cultural, but I would say that a lot of them aren't that we, we end up making that justification because culture has started to make us think that that is what is real or that is what is true and right. And that the Bible must be wrong in that area. Right. So instead of actually studying it throughout scripture to see if it is indeed a times thing or is a true scripture based, how we're supposed to live thing. Um, or like, has it gone against, or is it just going against the progressiveness of our culture? Um, and we have just assumed that it is dated. We don't actually do the work involved to see if it's, yeah, if it's actually like a thing that we're supposed to live by or if it is culture has started to just inundate our lives. Um, I mean, I know in a lot of ways this, I mean, there's there's lots of things that you can pull from yeah. um, that you're like, well, that just sounds good. That just sounds right. But then when you put it to the lens of scripture, you're like, but it goes against what God intends or wants, so there must not be something right about it. Right. You know, so I would say that that's one way of getting very practical with this is like really looking at your life and seeing, yeah, where where have you kind of started to say like, oh, I just don't go there or um, or the Bible, yeah, must just be wrong in this area or, yeah, that it's out of date in some respects. Yeah, so how this has played out in my life is there have been moments where after I've come to Christ, I know that my past self was messed up and needs to be addressed. But there's also a part of me that feels like what I used to do wasn't the worst thing ever, right? Mm -hmm. Or I liked entertaining that part of my flesh or entertaining that part of my former life. And so then I can find ways to try to justify it and push back as opposed to saying scripture should be at the center of my decision-making process and, and, and scripture is going to be what tells me what to do. And then I've even gone so far sometimes in my head to justify the fact that if scripture doesn't explicitly say mm. this, that, or the other thing, then it must be free. I can free do whatever brain. I want to do, right? So the Bible doesn't say I can't do X, Y, or Z, so then it's, everything's fine. As opposed to getting to understand the entire narrative of scripture and realizing Oh, no, what God's asking me to do here is way different than what I'm trying to promote or go after. And so I think we do this all the time, right? We, we, you know, I've had students over the years come to me and say, well, smoking pot isn't that big of a deal. It doesn't say anything in scripture about not doing it. And in fact, I even had one kid come to me one time and said, I found this, this, this in a psalm and it like opened it up to me. And it was his translation says something like, and God made all the green things and they were good. <laughs> and they were like, see, you know what I'm talking about? And I'm like... Uh, it's a terrible understanding of that verse. Mm -hmm. And so what they did then is they started to justify what they wanted it to say. Mm -hmm. And it was really being pushed on by culture. It was being pushed on by all these other things. And the truth is, and I think this is going to be worse in the years to come, our, our way of living, our way of thinking is going to separate ourselves from the culture. Just like a guy on a ship while everyone else is getting ready to make the sacrifice to Poseidon or whatever, the one guy who says bad and goes, I'm not doing that. And they go, well, we're going to throw you overboard if you don't do it because you're not joining us in this. He's like, no, I serve the one true God. This is that th this storm is not a thing. I did, whatever. Uh, you you paid the consequences for that. Yeah. And I think we as Christ followers sometimes miss that. We want to we want everything to be happy and fun all the time, and we want to leave the fact that serving God in our culture is going to become more and more unpopular. Very true. And kind of 
going off of that too, Christ is it, guys. Like yep. he is everything. He is all we need. Really start thinking about where have we traded this life-giving thing? Like I don't even know how to explain yeah. it, but him being life-giving for, yeah, some momentary satisfaction. Yeah. Like instead of always going to him and trusting him, we're like, but I need this for right now because right. this is what's going to make me feel good or make me feel satisfied or right. instead of him being the only thing. The fruit, always. the fruit looks really good. Yeah. Instead of the long-term rela- you know, relationship with God. Mm-hmm. All right, James, take it away. Council Corner with Erica. Okay, so this Council I'm Corner. I'm deeply offended by that. <laughs> This council corner piggybacks last week. So last week was about feeling what you feel, mourning what you need to mourn, and letting that be okay in this period of time. This week is how do we get out of that state of mourning? And to be completely honest with you, as we are recording this, like I am kind of not really out of my state of mourning yet. And so I'm as much speaking to myself as I am speaking to you. So, and they talked about this, this abounding with Thanksgiving. Um But truly being thankful for what you have and being grateful and seeing the blessings can really help you move past your feelings of sadness. Mm -hmm. If we are honest with ourselves, a lot of times our feelings are probably stemming from a place of selfishness or entitlement or like, I deserve this thing. Um, I mean, I've had thoughts that I've been faithful for years, God, and this is what I get. Like, and I think if all of us are honest, that that has definitely been a thought that we have had, like some pretty dark thoughts. Not proud of those thoughts, but also God is not scared of those thoughts. And I think sometimes we just need to be honest. But thankfulness will help us to see what God has actually given us, what he's actually done. And I mean, we've talked about too that like we, we've talked about like wanting the blessing. And it's like he's already done it. Like he's already done it. So um, really just being able to see those things. A lot of times it's just gaining a little bit of perspective. We're so, we're so close. Um, I mean, there's that verse in in John about missing the forest amongst the trees. Like we get too close and we kind of forget. Um, but I also had someone tell me that, that that helped them that, yeah, realizing about thankfulness, but also realizing that nothing is wasted when it comes to God. So these feelings, what you're going through, like it's not done in vain. And that's a good thing to know too. And you might not know what that is and you might not see the fruit of that, but just knowing that it's never wasted, that it's not in vain. So keep telling yourself the truth. So for me, the truth is, that, yeah, like the the wedding is going to be great, amazing. It's going to be beautiful. And at the end of the day, like I know that we're married and that's what counts. And while I'm still sad, um, when I say these truths to myself, I know that the truth, I know the truth and that this is not going to last forever. I'm not going to be sad forever. If it starts to border on resenting God, because I think that's what can happen because mm-hmm. I have had anger towards God and that's different. A little anger towards God and resenting God are very different. One is a um, just a feeling you have in the moment. The other is almost starts becoming an action of Bitter, like, like yeah bitterness. Bitterness, yeah. yeah. We meet. We then will probably need a little bit more introspection into why maybe we're following him, what we're hoping to gain from him. Um, like we've already received so much from him. Everything, in fact, that like we're not really guaranteed anything else. And if you're starting to also border on the resenting, then that may maybe means you need to actually talk to other people and talk to somebody about it. That could be a counselor. That could just be a a friend. That could be somebody that you trust. Somebody that's wise. um, Somebody that's not just going to tell you what you want to hear, 
but somebody that's actually going to push you towards truth. Like those are the people that you want to reach out to and being honest with them about what you're feeling because those feelings will just continue to fester and they'll just continue to get worse and worse and worse unless you actually bring them into the light. So those are kind of my my thoughts on, um, yeah, trying to get yourself out of the funk or trying to get yourself out of the sadness would be thankfulness, realizing that nothing is wasted, um, and just remembering the truths. So, Those are good thoughts. Yeah. I like it. All right. That's a wrap, right? I know. It's like we need a Bye. clapper thing. See you later, alligator. After a while, crocodile. <laughs> Not too soon, you big baboon. I've never heard that one. Go vamoose, you big, big moose. We used to, I made these up with my nephew one day. Did we you just, really? We went through like, That's great. we made a whole bunch up. All right, bye. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Yamcast. You can check us out at yamcast.podbean.com or on any other podcasting apps like iTunes. We would love it if you'd leave us a review that is any number between four and a half and five stars. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. If you'd like more information about us, you can check us out at parkhillschurch.com or on the App Store with the Park Hills Church app. We are also on Instagram, so give us a follow at the Yamcast. Captain Planet, he's a hero. Gonna take pollution down to zero. By your powers combined, I am Captain Planet. Earth, wind, fire, heart, water.